is turning to the children's church. And that fountain seems to be making quite a bit of noise this morning, so I'll just turn it off right now. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to try to cover uh, uh, a, a larger portion of Scripture, but deal primarily with just one verse kind of in the middle of our text. We're going to start in uh, the passage that we're covering in verse 1 of chapter 2 and go all the way through uh, verse 5 of chapter 3 of the book of Second Corinthians. But Verse 11 is the, the verse that arrested my attention this morning and where we're going to center our focus. And so just want to read verse 11 first and then go back and get the context of this. It says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I was talking with uh, Brother Hiram Davis yesterday, and and uh, those that were able to go, uh, we had a it was just a good time and uh, good spirit, and and uh, there were uh, several people, and they said, there's those crazy people from Cornerstone again, singing carols, even though it was after Christmas. But uh, it's still not New Year's yet, so we're able to sing Christmas carols. Amen. And, and uh, it was a good time, uh, and uh, fellowship there, and just being reminded, Brother Davis was telling me, he said, boy, there's just a, a lot of things going on in a lot of families. And I was going, you know, that's kind of like it is everywhere, isn't it? Uh, it just seems that the devil has been uh, attacking churches and attacking individuals here. And it just seems like in the last couple of years, it's it's just stepped up and the, and the pressure has not relented at all. And as I was thinking about those things and other things, it just simply said, you know, the devil is trying to get an advantage. He, he is trying to do things. Uh, if you really want a title for this morning's message, it's simply this, under attack. How many of you have felt that this year? Uh, just the attacks of the devil. Uh, we, we are in a battle. The Bible uses uh, a military terminology. It tells us we're to put on the armor of God. Uh, we are trying to uh, fight against the influence of the world. It is constantly knocking at the door. The devil wants into church because if you let him in, guess who leaves? Jesus does. And that is why we, we take a, a, a strong stand against worldly and, and contemporary music as, as such. Uh, we like new songs. Uh, we, we, that in the sense of contemporary being new, the Bible says sing a new song. We're not against that. What we are against is going to the world and borrowing their music. Uh, we don't want to do that. We want our music to be strictly and carefully and wholly sacred to the Lord. Because that's how we worship the Lord, His way. Under his direction. And, and there's always temptation in our personal lives. If you let the devil in, guess what? He's coming and he's bringing his buddies with him. Uh, like one preacher said, sin doesn't come singly. It comes in six packs. You think you're just going to get that one you want. And, and what happens is there are others that come in with it. And yet we know the promises of Jesus Christ, do we not? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Amen? 
Jesus told the disciples, Lo, I am with you always. How did he preface that? All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. And what a church is supposed to do is take the gospel. Even if that's in the form of singing Christmas carols. Making people pay attention that that there is uh, a church there in Fleshman's. Amen. And, and we praise the Lord for the little part that we had in in organizing that church and 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 helping Brother Hiram. And praise the Lord that Brother Jason is out at Riverhead preaching and Brother Newberger is at Union and Brother Remigio is at Morris Park. Brother Saravia is downstairs preaching in Spanish language. I'll tell you what. We have a lot to be thankful for. And what did Jesus promise? He said, the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. You know what the devil likes to do? He likes to make you feel like God's not keeping his promise. That, that's one of his devices. That's how he gets advantage over us. And Paul says we're not ignorant of those advantages. And we know that if we uh, allow these things into our life, if we let down our guard, God has to judge sin, whether it be in the life of the Christian, in the function of the church, or in the lives of sinners. God will always judge sin because He is God. Amen? And so we're involved in the battle. And as we look here in the book of 1 Corinthians, we start in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come to you again in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow of them, of, from them, of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much anguish, I mean, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. So the contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should have get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So now we're, we're setting the context. There were problems in the Corinthian church. Uh, we, we don't have to spend a lot of time there. In fact, just read the book of 1 Corinthians and you're going to find out Paul just goes problem after problem. When he gets to chapter 5, Paul, like uh, we might say today, takes off the gloves and he says, listen, we've got to get down to, we've got to get down to business here. We've got to deal because there is sin in the church and such sin that is not even acceptable in the world. And he condemns the Corinthians. He said, you're glorying. Hey, they were excited about something. How many of you are glad that God forgives sins? But God's forgiveness is not a license to go out and do more bad things. You see, that's one of the devil's devices. He makes us so comfortable with God's forgiveness that we're no longer afraid 
to disobey God. That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul said, listen, you've got to take this person, if he will not be corrected, if he will not do what is right, you've got to remove him from the church. It says to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see, when a person chooses to be obedient to the devil, even though they're saved, guess what's going to happen? They're going to destroy their lives. They're going to destroy their family. They're going to destroy their children. You are going to bring destruction. God must judge sin. And so, Paul now is saying, listen, I determined when I was writing this second letter that I was not going to be as full of sorrow and all the problems because... I want you Corinthian people to know something. It is your service for Christ that is one of the sources of my joy. And he said, where am I going to get encouragement in the ministry except from you? And I don't want to make you uh, uh, so upset and so full of sorrow, but you've got to deal with sin in the church no matter what. And that's why he ends that little section there in verse um, 3. He says, I have confidence, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. If you will get right down to it, Corinthian church, what makes you tick is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That is our joy. And Paul says, that's my joy. And I have confidence that your relationship with God is greater than the problems that were in the church. And then he goes on to say that he, he had written out of much affliction and anguish of heart and many tears. But he said, Listen, I want you to understand that the reason I was doing this is because I loved you. And, and we stop and we think about this. We, we, uh, I wish there was just some better way to communicate it. Uh, my mouth and brain just doesn't work, it seems, when we try to communicate how much God loves us and what God's love is. You see, God's love is being obedient to God now, isn't it? If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. Why is that love? Because the absolute best thing that can happen in the life of any person here on earth is to be obedient to the words of this book called the Bible. Can we say a good amen to that? I mean, that is the most wonderful thing that can happen. Stop and think. How many of you can... If you can Remember a time when maybe you didn't have as much struggle and strife in your life as you do right now. And you were simply obedient to the Lord. There was just more joy, wasn't there? And you know what? There is never joy in the heart of any true soldier When you're in the heat of a firefight. You know what's going on when a soldier is in a firefight? Trying to put an end to it. Right? Trying to stop the enemy from shooting. Trying to make sure that whatever you do finishes this skirmish so that you don't have to refight it. You don't have people getting up off the... Uh, that you supposed were taken out of the conflict, getting up and, and tossing a grenade or doing something devastating at the very end when you think you're finally safe. Uh, the goal in the firefight is getting the firefight stopped in your favor, of course. And, and when we are in a battle, we have to understand something. You can't quit until it's done. You can't stop until 
you're safe. Otherwise, all you're doing is setting yourself up to get taken out by the other side. Isn't that right? And so Paul is telling the the Corinthian church here, he said, "I, I wrote you with much anguish, but it was because I love you, because the absolute best thing that can happen in your life is obedience to God's Word. We can't ever let that down. We can't ever give up. He said, but listen, look at verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Now, I'll tell you, you go to the commentators, and the commentators, half of them say, oh, this is the guy that was kicked out of the church and removed from the church in uh, in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5 because of immorality in his life. And then a lot of other people say, no, it was somebody else. Well, pray tell, who would Paul have known about that the Corinthians knew about, that he had written about? I mean, it just makes simple sense that this would not be some mysterious stranger that has never been mentioned in Paul's letters. It it would make the most sense to, this is the guy in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians that was such a mess. And there is this thing of, you read 1 John, it says there is a sin unto death. There is a sin that God will take away your physical life. Because God is only going to allow His servants to go so far. And then He's going to remove them. And Paul's saying, this guy didn't get that far. Now, you know what that tells me? That there tells me there's hope for everybody. Amen? And God is the God of forgiveness. Aren't you glad about that? Now, that doesn't mean you forgive someone who hasn't let go of their sin. That's not what it's talking about here. Forgiveness is always based on two things. Number one, payment. Number two, repentance. Amen? You you have to have those things in order for biblical forgiveness. And so, uh, then Paul goes on, and I'll tell you, people have taken this verse, uh, verse 10, way out of context here. And he says, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the church at Corinth actually removing this guy's sin, saying, I forgive thee? No, only Jesus can forgive sins. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, listen, you're the church of Jesus Christ. If you as a church judge that this man has changed his ways and wants to serve God... I'm in full agreement with you. You know what Paul was doing? Paul the Apostle was saying, I believe that you as a Corinthian church have enough godly sense and understanding to make a decision in this very critical matter and I'm going to stand by your decision. Not only am I going to stand by your decision, I can prove to you, I can guarantee that Jesus stands by your decision Because Jesus is in the sin-forgiving business. Amen? And God is the God of the second chance and the third chance. Now, you don't take someone who has done things like this man did and make him a deacon in the church or a pastor. that's, That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is restoring fellowship. You see, all you have to do To want to serve Christ is surrender to the message of the gospel. Amen? And you know what? Every one of us step out of line. Every one of us fail. Every one of us sin. And Jesus forgives us. And we can work together because forgiveness is the trademark. It is the context. But here's what we got to get to. You see, when we get down to verse 11, 
It says, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know something? You, as a church, we cannot allow sin to be in the church. We can't allow someone to live against the things of the Bible and be considered a faithful and good member of the church. The Bible says that we have to be very careful of that. But just as we have to be very careful of that, we have to be very careful that God's in the sin-forgiving business and restore fellowship to someone who wants to serve the Lord. Amen? The only hindrance, the only one that can keep someone from serving the Lord is the sinner themselves. And yet, here's what happens sometimes. If we're not careful... We get our attention on the sin or the sinner. And we forget that there's only one focus of attention in the Bible-believing church. And what's that? Are you that scared? I've heard a few people say, Jesus, yeah, that's, the, that's what it is. Let's try that together. There's only one focus in the church of Jesus Christ. And what is that? That's right. Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the only focus and the devil's greatest device. One of his things that he tries to do is he tries to take our attention from Jesus Christ. You see, let's look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God... In the sight of God, speak we Christ. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to God word, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now this is the rest of the verses that we want to uh, get our our. Uh, our, my sermon the, that I want us to cover this morning. But what we have in the context here is there were some bad things going on in the church. But there was also repentance. And there was forgiveness. And Paul was telling the church, listen, if you as a church judge that this person has repented and turn to God from their sins, he said, I forgive them also. I'm not holding anything against them. You know, it was, it, it was, it is often is the case, uh, sometimes when someone like, uh, the, uh, if, you know, Paul could have easily taken a bitter attitude toward this man and say, how could you do this in the church that I started? You see what's happening? And Paul wasn't going to do that. He said, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And if you make that judgment 
I'm with you and I want you to know that God is with you. Jesus Christ is with you. And we must be on guard not to let the devil uh, get and take an advantage uh, of us. We're not ignorant uh, of his devices. The first thing he wants to do is get our attention off the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was like I was dealing with a, a man many years ago. And he said, Pastor, I just can't quit smoking. And he went on for about... Ten minutes just talking about how much he hated cigarettes and how much the, all the wrong they were doing. And I just looked at him. I said, what have you been talking about for the last ten minutes? He said, wanting to no, quit and, and he stammered something out. And I said, no, you. how in the world are you going to get rid of the sin when that's all you talk about? You see, you're not going to get rid of your problems by... Focusing on your problems. That's the lie. The de- Oh, that's his greatest device. If I could just lose 20 pounds, man, I'd just be really good shape. Well, the moment you start focusing on food, how in the world are you going to lose weight? Because food's what puts it on now, isn't it? I mean... We, we are this way. The devil loves to take our focus off of Jesus. And he loves to take our focus off the fact that Jesus has already won the victory. You see, we think, i, I got to fight. Uh, when I was a teenager just learning how to play my saxophone, somebody wrote a song called It Is Finished, and, and it talked about the uh, though the battle's over, there are still people out on the battlefield fighting and losing. You know why? It's, it's Christ that gives us, always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Now, This passage, these next few verses, when it talks about savor, we we kind of, if we're not careful, we'll get lost. Now, how many of you enjoyed uh, yesterday there that uh, nice bonfire that uh, Brother Hiram got started for us? Wasn't that nice? And, And if you got very close to it, your coat and maybe your hair and uh, it, it usually takes a couple of washings to get the smoke smell out of your hair, and and, and but that that just walking up to that fire. I mean, we pulled in the parking lot, and it was like even with my head cold, I could still smell that burning oak and hickory, and I was going, "Wow, oh, that that just smells so." You see, we tend to think savor is just a smell or a taste, but really, it's all of the above and then some. It arrests your attention, does it not? How many of you have ever walked into the kitchen and smelled something that was like, I can't wait till dinner. Or walk past a restaurant and all of a sudden you're smelling whoa, something's good's going on in there. And, and I mean, it's not just the smell. Your mouth is watering and you're thinking about whatever that food is that's there. Savor is, is an attention-arresting combination of sight, smell, sound, all of these things. I mean, you, you go to certain restaurants and... and uh, uh, my my favorite kind of food is not uh, necessarily the the burritos and tacos and those things, but I'll tell you what they bring out one of those fajitas on that frying pan and it's just sizzling hot and you can smell the onions halfway across the restaurant. Now that that gets my attention. How about you? Uh, I, I I think I could handle one of those, and I know it's bad to talk about all this food here right before lunchtime. But here's what I want us to get a hold of. Savor gets a hold of you, doesn't it? It does more than just 
make you think or it, it, it stops you thinking about other things. And so as we look here, it says in verse 14, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Jesus is always the victor. The savor of his knowledge. Does knowing Jesus change the way that the world thinks about you? Sometimes I've had people say, oh, you were just lucky, all those kids and all that. No, no, it's not that at all. Every good thing in my life has directly connected to obedience to the Word of God. And it's true in every one of our lives. You see, when we know what Jesus has given us, and we do that, we are making an aroma, a savor uh, of the knowledge of Christ. And it says... For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. You know what Jesus wants to get from us? He wants to smell. He wants to be uh, made aware of the presence of Christ in our lives. See, that's what the Old Testament sacrifices are all about. Most of the time in the Old Testament, when this word savor is used like it is here in in the book of Corinthians, it was talking about God being pleased with the offering of incense on the golden altar. The, The burnt offering. And do you remember the brazen altar? Every morning, the priest was supposed to offer a lamb, uh, Uh, a young lamb on that altar every morning. He was supposed to offer another lamb every evening. That fire was to be burning 24 hours a day. It was never to go out. The Jewish people claim that God started the fire there at the base of Mount Sinai when the tabernacle was erected. The glory of God came down and consumed that altar and that fire was started and it wasn't put out until Nebuchadnezzar's armies destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. I I hope and pray that's true. But you know what? The Bible tells us that we don't have to worry about the fire of God's love and salvation ever going out in our life. Because He keeps it going. But we're supposed to be that saver. We're supposed to work on. We're supposed to put some effort in there. And it tells us that we are unto God a sweet saver of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. It says, to the one we're the saver of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? You know, one of the reasons why I I encouraged our church to do so much traveling this Christmas was to be an encouragement to the people at Riverhead. And I'll, I'll tell you, the Lord used us to get that done to encourage those saints that are struggling, trying to keep that church together and keep the doors open and and trying to continue what was started uh, several years ago by Brother Fryman. And uh, I want you to pray. I got a phone call Thursday night after church. Uh, Brother Terry Randolph uh, said, Hey, I got in touch with a guy that just might be uh, interested here. I said, Give me his number. He said, I, I didn't want to pursue it unless you're interested. I said, already done, interested. Uh, we, we want God's will, amen? Listen, pray about that. 
You see, in the one we're a savior of death unto death. And you know what? How many of you have ever experienced opposition to your faith in Christ by friends and family? You don't have to raise your hands, but if you've been trying to serve God, it's been there somewhere or another. Do you realize the key to serving Christ is the same as the daily sacrifice on the brazen altar? It is the death of self. Do you know that an unsaved person, that's the, that is their biggest stumbling block to get saved? Is they can't get over themselves. They're, they're too full of themselves. I've, I've got this, I've got that. You, you, you're going to take away everything that's good in my life. How many of you remember thinking that before you got saved? And then you got saved and you realized that all what you thought was good was bad. And everything that you thought was bad was actually good. And now you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and the goodness that's in Him. Can we say amen to that? Well, understand that in the unsaved world, when we put forth the truth of Jesus Christ, they're saying, wait a minute. You're saying I'm not a good person. I am a good person. I'm I'm the best person I know. I I am my favorite person, in fact. And most of us would say that to ourselves if it were not for the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen? No one wants to look in the mirror and say, you're really a bad person. Now, people do this. Uh, You can go to a psychologist and, and they'll set you in a group of people and you can curse at each other because it'll make you feel better about yourself. And pay hundreds of dollars an hour for this foolishness. Why would you do that when you can just uh, flip on your iTunes and for 99 cents you can buy a song and a guy will call you every dirty name that was ever invented and they call it music. And you can just listen to it if that's what you want. But that's really uh, dumb, isn't it? You see, the reason we beat up ourselves or condemn ourselves is because we secretly want to feel better about ourselves. And so, if I treat myself poorly, then then I have the right to feel better. Do you know what that is? That's pride. Good old-fashioned, number one sin in the entire Bible, pride. You know what humility is? Saying, I can't do anything. Oh, that's death. But Jesus died on the cross. Oh, that's more death. Why Why can't we just live? Because you can't live with sin. The penalty of sin is death. And until you accept the death of yourself and the death of Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sins, you can't have life. But once you get it, He just keeps giving more of it. And it keeps getting better. The more you serve the Lord Jesus, it is the savor of life unto life. Are you allowing that work in your heart? Are you allowing that thing to happen? You see, the Bible ends, Paul ends this in verse 16. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? You know, one of the problems I have with many of our uh, uh, new, uh, this new, Uh, theology that is out there is that they have to sit down and philosophize everything. I I remember when I was just a young man in the ministry, this preacher that I greatly respected, he he says, you know, we've, we've got to sit down and come up with a philosophy of ministry. You know what the Bible says about that? It says, who is sufficient for these things? If it's God that's doing the work, Why are you trying to figure it out? 
How about you just work on stinking good? Smelling good. Creating that savor of life unto life among the Christians. Of death unto death. You know, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I died to self. When I accepted the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for me. The greatest victories in my life is when I've been able to tell myself to sit down and shut up and be dead so Jesus can live. Amen? And the greatest encouragement that I can be in someone's life Remember that little ditty? I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. You see, that's life unto life. Amen? And then we go on to the next verse, and it says, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. You know, sometimes as a preacher, I just feel like uh, my job is to uh, say, no, they're not right. Well, what about this TV preacher? Well, I can promise you if they're on TV, they're wrong. Uh, well, what about, uh, um, what about Charles Stanley? Well, he's the best guy on television. But he's wrong about the church. He's wrong about the Bible. He's wrong about separation from the world. He's wrong about a lot of things. But it's better than uh, oh, uh, Frederick K. Price or, or uh, Benny Hinn or some of these other guys that are on there. And, and I mean, but why would we go digging through the garbage can of the world? When I can hold in my very hands the words of God. See, I can promise you something about the Calvinist. They corrupt the word of God. I can promise you something about these mid-trib and post-trib and uh, 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 post-millennial and amillennial and all of these guys that believe all these weird things about the Bible. They corrupt the word of God. You know what? You don't have to understand all of the theology that is out there. What we need to do is to, what's it say? But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we Christ. That's what we got to do. And if we will do that, guess what we're going to do? We're going to be like that bonfire. That when you walk up, when you get close, wow, they're burning some really nice wood there. Oh, I just love that smell. And if you don't like the smell of a good bonfire, you figure out what you like the smell of and use that for your illustration. But the the simple truth is, it's more than just a smell. It is a life-arresting um, phenomenon, and it leads from life unto life. We are to speak Christ. And then chapter 3, Paul gets just one more. The chapter divisions are not always thought divisions, and we need to get here these first five verses. And, and Paul says, listen, am I just trying to tell you how good it is in my life? He says, uh, uh, Am I, am I just trying to explain to you? Do I have to prove to you again how good Jesus is? He said, or, or am I in a need of a letter of accommodation, uh, from you to prove that I'm an apostle? He said, this is ridiculous. He said, what we need to do is we need to look at the way we live. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. 
Do you know where the real joy of Jesus is? It's in living, isn't it? Where is it? Boy, I don't see a smile in the crowd. Maybe I've got to start over again. The joy of serving Christ is in the life. It's when we can look back. You know, I'm, I'm finally getting long enough down the trail of life that I can start looking back and seeing things. When you're a teenager, uh, one of your greatest problems is you look back on your life experience and all you have is high school. Uh, that's not a very good thing to look at. Uh, or college or say, you know, I did this. Uh, I got to been doing some thinking this fall. It just finally hit me. 30 years. Do you know how long 30 years is? I mean, that's almost half a lifetime if you get your three score and five. Or no, three score and ten is 70. Uh, that, that 30 years is almost half, half of that. 30, just five years short. And you sit there and you go, You know, it just seems like a dream. It just seems like yesterday. We were walking down the aisle in Cincinnati and saying, I do, I do. But that was 30 30 years ago. 26 years. We were up in a little rented office space on 23rd Avenue, 31st Street, 23rd Avenue. Somebody had put their fist through a wall, and uh, we had to patch a hole in the wall, and then we held services there, and we couldn't hold services there anymore. We found out why. The real estate agent had let it out to uh, the Greek mafia, and that's where their gambling den had been until the police found it. And... uh, so uh, they didn't want us renting that. They didn't want a church where they were gambling. And so we had to find another place. And then we were over here at Seventh-day Adventist place. And Christmas Sunday, last Sunday, we were 21 years in this building right here. Life passes. Yesterday we were with the Davises and I'm sitting there and I'm looking in this smiling face. I know who it is. It was Sammy. The only problem is he was looking like this. I mean, when I first met Sammy, he was way down here, and now he's he's looking me right in the eyes, and I'm sitting there going, wow, these kids are growing up. My kids are growing up. I'm looking at the grandkids and saying, I remember when my kids were that size. I can't be this old. Oh, yeah. Embrace it. You know Why? Because the joy, the greatness of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is walking down that pathway of life, trusting in Jesus. The years are going to pass. They're going to pass much. I remember people tell me this, and it'll, it'll be over in a blink of an eye. Well, I don't think it's been quite that fast. But it's gone a lot faster than I wish it had. You see, look at verse 5. Paul had asked the question in verse 16, And who is sufficient for these things? You can't understand. You can't sit there and philosophize. You can't sit there and plan how you're going to make your life the savor that God wants it to be in this world. That is the working of Jesus Christ. And we come here to to verse 5, and he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. How many of you remember all the time you spent trying to figure out what you were going to be when you grew up? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. When I was 16 years old, boy, I had some plans. I wanted to get an appointment to Annapolis Naval Academy. I wanted to be an officer in the Marine Corps. 
And when I got 48 years old, which was several years ago, I was going to retire and move to Canada and live in a little hut all by myself. I, I, I really thought that was going to be life. Doesn't God have an incredible sense of humor? He stuck me in the most crowded place in the face of the earth with a whole bunch of kids crowded into a little apartment. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for five other lives of my own planning. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You see, if you'll stop trying to figure everything out and just trust Christ, then we work our ways back. You see, if I'm trusting Christ... He's the one that's going to make my life a savor of life unto life and death unto death, but always sweet of Jesus Christ in the nostrils of our Heavenly Father. We say amen to that. He's going to make sure that I handle this book called the Bible sincerely and honestly and of God because if I'm truly obeying God, I'm going to handle this book very carefully. Amen? And He is going to make me deal with sin in my life and in our church and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, we'll be in heaven gathered around the throne and the only person that's going to be important is Jesus. And you see, Let's not let Satan get advantage of us. We, we know his devices. He wants to take our attention off Jesus Christ. He wants to spoil our simplicity and our childlike faith in Jesus Christ. He wants us to think that sin is so big that God can't forgive it. Or if God could forgive it, I'll never be right again. No, listen. God is capable of dealing with every sin that was ever sinned by anybody in any time. The only thing that hinders God dealing with sin is you accepting His forgiveness. Can we say amen to that? God will save you. You see, we're not ignorant of His devices. But if you'll stop paying attention to the devil, if you'll stop trying to figure it out, and just lose yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll wake up one day and say, Wow, that was 20 years ago. That was 30 years ago. That was 70 years ago. I'm, I'm ready to go home. And like Paul said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. He didn't do that by waking up every morning and saying, Hey, today's going to be a good day for Jesus. It's not the way it works. The way it works is my sufficiency comes from Jesus. And all God's people say, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.